Hello and welcome to the Proper Car Podcast. I'm Drew Markey and I'm excited to share my love of cars and my knowledge of the car sales and service industry with you. The goal of this podcast is to help you be more informed about the car buying process, to help you find the best car for your needs and your budget, and to help you enjoy car ownership more than you've ever imagined. I'm your ally in car buying and I can't wait to help you out. So let's get started. A law just passed in California that bans the sale of gas-powered new vehicles from 2035 onward. The primary goal of this law is to stop the sale of new vehicles that generate emissions. And on today's podcast, I'm going to cover a few key points and counterpoints to this decision. As I've said in the past, I understand the negative impact that cars have had on our environment. And I'm very supportive of changes we can make to offset those emissions and the harm they've done to our global environment. But I also see the challenges and potential issues with how strict this legislation appears to be. There are infrastructure limits and other environmental impacts related to a rapid shift in electric vehicles that need to be considered. So in the next segment, I'm going to cover some details of the law and explain how I believe it's trying to make a big impact, as well as a few ways I think it may fail. And the remainder of this podcast will go into some other ways we may be able to make positive changes in more sustainable ways, including how we set our expectations on the short-term future of cars. It's not uncommon for California to lead the way with laws that focus on things like cleaning up vehicle emissions. They've long been the first to set some strict fuel economy mandates and have made many other changes within that state that make it more worthwhile for people to buy lower emissions or zero emissions cars. And they have a continuation effect that kind of takes place. Once California sets a law like this, a lot of other states take on the same type of law or come up with a very similar version for themselves. And usually the long-term effect is that over the course of a handful of years, it just becomes federal law as well. I'm happy that they've done these things. By being strict, sometimes even setting goals that seem impossible to achieve, they've forced manufacturers to be more aggressive in their approach toward these changes. I think that's a great way to go about important and time sensitive issues like climate change. But in this case, there are a few major obstacles in the way, and the first one is the charging infrastructure. California, especially its more urban areas, is definitely the farthest along in having a good charging system in place to be able to satisfy 
the rapidly growing demand from electric vehicles. But even there, where it's at its best, it's already proving to be an issue for a lot of consumers. Long lines at charging stations are becoming much more common. And unlike when you see 20 cars waiting at the gas pumps, a line of 20 cars waiting to charge could mean hours upon hours of wait times, not the 15 to 30 minutes it might take for that queue in front of you to leave after they've filled up with gas. This law will obviously force a quick growth for that part of the the industry. The infrastructure will have to be put in place, but it can't happen overnight. And although 2035 may feel really far away, it's amazing how quickly that time will arrive. One of the other big issues is the additional demand that's placed on an industry that's already struggling to keep up. This seemingly overnight growth in demand for more electric cars on the new car market has already been met with some big delays in production. That production is actually similar in a lot of ways to how we currently mine the earth for non-renewable resources. Just as we're currently doing it to power internal combustion engine cars with gasoline, the lithium and cobalt and just different elements of these batteries and motors that power electric cars also require mining of the earth, heavy machinery, and transportation of these items all around the globe. And I mention all this to explain why it's just not as clear-cut of a solution as maybe this law makes it sound like it might be. I come back to the point that having a hard-to-achieve goal will likely have more positive impacts because it forces changes to take place more quickly. The innovations have to ramp up in speed and just try to keep up with this growing demand. And hopefully that's part of what helps to find other ways to reduce the overall impact on the environment, including the production, as well as the use of the vehicles. Recently, there was an announcement of some kind from MIT, and I need to look into it a little bit more, but it basically stated that they've found a way, the students have found a way, to use other materials that are less harmful and not as big of a problem with the renewable aspect or the mining of of materials that could be used for batteries in exchange for these lithium-ion batteries that we're currently using. It sounds like the type of thing that could be a, a huge step in the right direction. And again, I think that's where these types of really strict laws that come about help to push that type of progress along a little bit quicker. So in the next segment, I want to discuss an article that 
really hit home on a lot of the ways that I think we should be adjusting our goals to better accomplish this dream that we have for the future. The New York Times recently published an op-ed from Edward Niedermeyer. I hope I didn't just ruin his name there. It was titled, You Want an Electric Car with 300 Mile Range? When was the last time you drove 300 miles? And this piece really tapped into my perspective on how we should be approaching our shift toward electric vehicles compared to how we have really been going about it. We've grown very accustomed to the ability to get about 300, 400 miles of driving range on a tank of fuel. And as a result, we've put that out there as some sort of a benchmark for electric vehicles. But why? As Niedermeyer covers in the article, 95% of vehicle use in America is for trips of 30 miles or less with the average driver logging only about 40 miles a day. So if most of us are driving 40 miles in a day, our chances of needing to be able to cover 300 miles before stopping to refuel are pretty rare. Generally, you'll find yourself making those longer drives a few times a year. There's going to be a bunch of shorter but longer than your typical day drives that get scattered in between. In my case, there are a handful of larger cities within 90 to 120 mile range of where I live. So from time to time, we'll find ourselves making a trip that far. But the longer drives beyond that are generally reserved for vacations and holidays with family or friends out of state. And those are pretty much always planned in advance. So the odds that I'll wake up one morning and need to make a 300 mile drive that I didn't plan on are really limited. But we just set this expectation that our cars could do that for us at any point in time. And in a lot of cases, even if you were to have an electric vehicle that was your primary car, people have a gas-powered car that is accessible to them. As a result, in a lot of cases, when I speak to people about these considerations for which vehicle makes the most sense for them, I bring that kind of thing up because that infrequency of the need for long-distance mileage really changes what they need out of an electric vehicle or any other vehicle for that matter. These lower range electric vehicles that have been on the market for a decade at this point actually are very well suited to a lot of people's typical day-to-day use. And I think that's kind of where we've screwed up here. We are all just expecting EVs to hit that 300 plus mile number. And as a result of that, 
it's costing us as the consumers out there trying to buy these cars thousands of dollars more in the purchase price. It's also forcing us when we do buy those types of vehicles to carry around a significant amount of additional battery weight that is unnecessary. As a result of doing that, these vehicles that are aimed at efficiency are actually less efficient than they could be otherwise. So I'd like to see a different take on how we approach electric cars. What if we built more of them to suit our actual needs? Those cars would look a lot like what I just described, those earlier electrics. They maybe only have 80 or 120 miles of range, but the advances that are happening in technology would allow for the packaging of those batteries to be smaller and smaller and smaller while still achieving that type of of range. As a result of needing fewer batteries within the car, you see that increase in efficiency and it allows you to spread the total production of batteries across many more cars. So instead of needing 300 miles of range on one car, if three different cars have 100 miles of range, you've now just made it so three people can exceed their daily needs for actual drivable range from an electric car, and you've split up the total production of the batteries across three cars instead of just one. A shift like that could really have a bigger impact. These cars will cost less to manufacture and they really open up a lot of possibilities of how they can go about packaging those vehicles and the batteries that are shrinking in size now. That means there's different and better ways they can be built so that they work more to what we actually need them to do. And it gives a much larger opportunity for the expansion of EVs across the country to meet these types of demands being placed by states like California. I think that version of the near future with electric cars makes so much more sense than the way we're currently approaching it. When I spoke earlier about the average mileage that we as American drivers are using our cars for on a daily basis, I pointed out that we're averaging you know, 40 miles a day in actual usage. But the thing about averages is it's factoring in the large swath of people who are doing very similar use, as well as a ton of outliers. And that's how you end up finding your way to that average. But that may look nothing like your usage. And that's okay. You may be the person that 
is just going to need to wait longer for EVs to be more affordable and make more sense for your daily usage requirements. If you live in a rural area or somewhere with hundreds of miles between major cities, you may find that even a 300 mile range on a car is too limiting, especially when you factor in the significant amount of time it takes to charge up along the way. So in your case, you're just going to be better off riding things out a little bit longer. Of course, transportation as a whole does have other solutions for those types of situations. If we had a better network of things like trains and really good mass public transportation systems that were more affordable and very efficient, that could solve a lot of other problems too. And I promise you that is a future episode as well. You know, if you're the person who can't really buy an electric car right now because it doesn't do what you need it to, and you live in California, you might see some reasons to be concerned about this shift that's going to take place in the very near future. I will say, though, that I think this law will present many positive changes that will even have an impact on you and the vehicles that will be available for your usage. And I think the type of vehicle that might be best for a person that needs more range on a vehicle is a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. Those are such a wonderful option that I think deserves way more attention than they get. Many of the current vehicles in this category have electric driving ranges that already exceed the daily needs of a typical driver. So you can plug it in when you get home, it's fully charged when you head back out for work or whatever you're going to do, use it all day, and plug it back in when you get home, never once relying on gasoline. But you still have it when you need it. That type of vehicle is such a great option that more people should be considering right now. I don't really understand why they're not the most popular types of cars across the board. They give you that freedom to use the car for road trips, for the longer drives like I talked about earlier, without ever having to concern yourself with that range anxiety. But they still provide enough battery-powered usage that you can go about your day-to-day needs without relying on the gas-powered engine in the car. I feel like this is just the perfect stopgap until we've made much greater advances in battery technology. Those advances that will allow us to use fewer batteries within each car that can actually go much longer ranges and charging times that are significantly reduced as well. Those are things that are going to come with time, especially thanks to strict rules being put in place. But 
it's going to be a while before we've really reached that point. So I suggest if you are finding yourself in a position where you're hearing these types of news and you're considering which of these options is best for you, that you look into those plug-in hybrid electric vehicles as an option. It might be the thing that could be the perfect solution for you for the next five to ten years, and we will be so far beyond what we're currently experiencing with electric vehicles by that time. I know there are going to be a ton of other articles and opinion pieces and podcasts and lots of other research that comes out probably daily on these types of topics, as it's really something that is just on everyone's minds these days, it seems. So there's a chance you're going to continue to hear and see a whole lot more related to this in the next few months and years. And I hope you enjoy these changes that are happening within the car industry as much as I do. I hope that this podcast has helped shed some light and maybe given you some different perspectives and shown you a couple of other considerations that we maybe want to be thinking about. To learn more about me and the services that I provide, including consulting on decisions like the one discussed in today's podcast, check out my website at thepropercar.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the underscore proper underscore car. Just reach out, send me a direct message, or you can also send me an email at podcast at thepropercar.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, enjoy the drive. <laughs>